This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of Nutshell Politics. Thanks so much for tuning back in. I know it's been a few weeks since my last one, but I am thrilled to be back with you guys. Uh, it's been a busy time with uh, the holidays, you know, Christmas, New Year's, and just a lot of things going on in life. But I am just really excited to be back with you guys. Uh, it's actually been a really eventful week here in the United States where I am based. Uh, for those of you who have been living under a rock there were some pretty major developments on the domestic front here in the united states with the uh upcoming transition of political power from one president to another it's uh without getting too far into the details on this there was a, a pretty big protest and then some of those protesters actually started rioting stormed the capitol building but we're going to put all of that in the back burner. I do want to at least acknowledge that because that does provide some of the backdrop for what we're going to be talking about today, which is a pretty big Middle Eastern peace deal negotiated by a current advisor to the White House that is undergoing such turmoil right now. But I don't want to talk about the, the domestic strife. That's not the point of this podcast. And uh, frankly, it's just uh, pretty wild. And there's a lot that I just don't think we really know or understand yet. Uh, I, I worry about making too strong of pronouncements about something that is still ongoing in, in development as people are figuring out you know, who was involved and what happened and all this stuff. So we're going to put all that on the back burner and jump into today's topic, which is the relationship between Saudi Arabia and Qatar. All right. So to start off with this, we're going to actually take a few steps back uh, to June of 2017. So June of 2017 was the date of something called the Qatar diplomatic crisis. This was a huge diplomatic incident that took place um, because Qatar was allegedly supporting terrorism in the Middle East. They were also accused of, of all, all kinds of other things, including violating some agreements with other countries in the region. The financial and otherwise assistance Qatar provided to groups like the Muslim Brotherhood and at least allegedly groups linked to al-Qaeda or to ISIS. Um, now, Qatar denies at least some of this. They, did, they do admit providing assistance to the Muslim Brotherhood, but they deny any sort of aid to al-Qaeda, ISIS, and they actually claim they've been helpful in the, the war on terror. Uh, but Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Egypt all disagreed with that. And those four countries, again, I'll, I'll repeat them, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, that's the UAE, Bahrain, and Egypt, all took particular, I don't say offense is the wrong word. They were, they, they were just, let's say they were unhappy. Uh, and they thought Qatar was, was doing some pretty shady things, uh, in particular supporting terrorist groups. And so this diplomatic dispute started to take place. And ultimately, those four countries severed all sorts of diplomatic relationships with Qatar. They banned any sort of Qatar-registered planes, ships from using any of their air or sea space. 
Saudi Arabia blocked Qatar's only land crossing that they had. Uh, and ultimately, a whole, ha- a whole host of other countries start to join on to this diplomatic incident. Uh, Jordan, the Maldives, uh, Mauritania, Senegal, uh, Djibouti, the Comor- Comoros, uh, Yemen, and even the, the current government, which was in Libya at the time. Uh, so we have close to a dozen different countries that get involved in this diplomatic dispute. And there's actually a few others too I didn't even mention. Um, just off the top of my head, I'm trying to, I think Chad was involved as well. Uh, Gabon, maybe. And then on the other side, obviously, you have you have Qatar. Now, Qatar did have some support from countries in the Middle East, mainly Iran, although Turkey gets involved a little bit. And then you have a couple groups like the Muslim Brotherhood who step up uh and try to be on their side as well. But ultimately, this is a pretty major diplomatic crisis for the country of Qatar because this is a large chunk of the Middle East severing any sort of diplomatic relationships with their country. Now, this is um, actually something that's pretty interesting because it kind of goes back a ways. The Qatar-Saudi Arabia relationship has, I wouldn't say it hasn't ever really been antagonistic until 2017 they had you know fairly cordial ties but they have never been particularly good friends uh and this is actually really important because qatar actually i should probably back up you guys probably don't come across the country of qatar very often so the country of qatar is this little tiny country uh right on the edge of saudi arabia and in fact saudi arabia is their only border country because they actually if you look at the country of Saudi Arabia, uh, they, on the eastern border, there's a little tiny part that just kind of pokes up into the Persian Gulf and kind of the Gulf of Bahrain, right in that area on like so kind of the eastern border of Saudi Arabia. That little, so that little peninsula that kind of juts out is the country of Qatar. Uh, so Saudi Arabia is literally its only true neighbor. Otherwise, they are surrounded by the Persian Gulf. Uh, and I said the Gulf of Bahrain kind of separates Qatar from, from Bahrain as well. It kind of um, is like an inlet to the Persian Gulf. Uh, Qatar is a fairly small country, um, not just physically. Uh, I think their, their entire area is something like 4,500 square miles. But they're also very small population-wise. They've got less than 3 million people in total. So this is a small country, and so they rely pretty heavily on their neighbors for a lot of things, uh, particularly Saudi Arabia being their really, their only land border neighbor that they have. Now, despite being so small, they're actually quite wealthy. It's a, a wealthy country. The GDP per capita, again, per capita, you know, meaning per citizen, is one of the highest in the world. Last I heard, I think they were third. Uh, so they have very high human development ratings, human development scores. I think the human development index is, again, uh, third, although this may be third in the in the region, not in the world. Uh, they have one of the largest natural gas reserves and, and oil reserves in the world. Uh, they're considered a high-income economy. And so because of that, despite their size, they do wield a fair amount of influence in the world. Uh, they're, they're a tiny, tiny country, but are identified as what's considered a middle power in the world because of their outsized influence due to the oil and natural gas and their general uh, per capita wealth. They also are fairly influential on the media stage as the media group Al Jazeera, which is a, a media network uh, in the region, Al Jazeera is headquartered in Qatar. I believe it was 
I forget actually who founded Al Jazeera. I have to look that up to be sure. But uh, Al Jazeera is very, very closely related to Qatar. It was launched there. It's uh, headquartered in Doha, which is the capital of Qatar. And it, it's really the primary international news source in the Middle East. So Qatar has a lot of control over that. And so despite being so small, despite having a small population, Qatar does have kind of an outsized influence on the world. But their small size also means that historically they have been pretty subservient uh, on the political front to other countries around them, and particularly Saudi Arabia. Now, in the, the 90s, we saw them launch Al, Al Jazeera, and they started to kind of diverge from Saudi Arabia on a lot of geopolitical issues. And this is probably where we see the, the beginnings of the rift between Saudi Arabia and Qatar start, although it's pretty small at this point. Now, in 2017, as I said, June 5th, 2017, you have these countries all sever ties with Qatar. And the exact uh, quote I'm going to give you is that the reason was Qatar's, quote, embrace of various terrorist and sectarian groups aimed at destabilizing the region. And so airspaces get closed off. Uh, water gets shut down to Qatar. Uh, territorial borders get shut down to Qatar. They kind of get isolated in the world with the exception of Iran being kind of their, their one friend. And the, the few things that they were co um, collaborating with Saudi Arabia on, like the uh, the Yemen campaign, which has been going on, the civil war in Yemen, uh, Saudi Arabia suspends that as well. So that's kind of the backstory of where we are with, with Saudi Arabia and Qatar. And Qatar kind of towed the line for, for a very long time until the late 20th century. Ultimately, they kind of start to deviate a little bit um, in the 90s, into the 2000s, and then ultimately it kind of spills over into the diplomatic crisis in 2017. And from that point on, there had been really no political cooperation of any sort between the two countries. And one of the more interesting things that, that kind of came out of this too is that relationship between Qatar and Iran, because for a long time, as I said, they had kind of towed the line with regards to Saudi Arabia's relationship with Iran. And when the Saudi diplomatic missions in Iran were attacked in 2016, Qatar followed suit and followed the Saudi lead and actually recalled its ambassador uh, that had been in Tehran. They, they recalled him back to Qatar. So when this diplomatic crisis hits in, in June of 2017, Qatar doesn't really see it has any other options and kind of runs into the waiting arms of Iran, and they reinstate their ambassador there in August, so just about two months later. Now, Saudi Arabia actually has also been involved in Qatar for other things over the years. They've actually acted as a mediator for Qatar on several other conflicts that Qatar has bumped into, uh, particularly with Bahrain, uh, but also some internal conflicts as well. But this tension had been growing for a couple decades before the diplomatic crisis hits. All right, so that's the backstory we have on the Qatar-Saudi Arabia relationship and a little bit with Qatar itself. We're going to take just a short break, and I'm going to come back on the other side, and we'll talk about what happened this week that completely changed all of that and why that's a, such a big deal, uh, not, not only for Saudi Arabia and Qatar, but for the world and even for the United States and uh as crazy as it sounds, for the Trump administration as well. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and I'll be back with you guys on the other side in just a minute. So hang with me. All 
right, we're back. Thanks for sticking with me through that commercial break. We're just going to go ahead and jump right back into today's topic. Uh, so before the break, we talked about Qatar and the background between the relationship of Qatar and Saudi Arabia and several other countries in the Middle East, uh, particularly this diplomatic crisis that took place about three and a half years ago now. But we had a pretty major development take place just last week in this relationship. Uh, Saudi Arabia led the charge to lift the blockade on Qatar and end the essential isolation of the country. Uh, they signed an agreement, ends of this kind of three-year blockade. And ultimately, this will start to ease some of the, the Gulf crisis that had been taking place there for the last uh, few years. A major, major diplomatic win on a variety of fronts. And this is actually what I was talking about when I mentioned uh, the Trump administration, because Jared Kushner, uh, he was, or he, I guess I say he is, a senior advisor to the White House uh, right now, and he helped negotiate this deal, ending the feud. Uh, so it's actually really, really interesting because this follows a whole line of pretty major, I would, I would classify historic Middle Eastern peace deals that have had the White House kind of at the front of it. There's a lot of things taking place here kind of behind the scenes with, with how these come about, but this normalization of relationships between Qatar and Saudi Arabia, as well as some other Gulf states, they all have the end result of isolating Iran. And this is why I think there, there's something bigger going on here than maybe it looks like on the surface. Because as you look at the other historic peace deals that have taken place just recently with Israel and several Arab countries, a lot of it, a lot of what's driving those deals behind the scenes, you know, why are Arab countries suddenly turning towards Israel, is their hesitancy, uh, their, their worry about the country of Iran uh, and the threat that they think it may pose, uh, which they now believe is probably bigger than the threat they saw from Israel. And this is this is a really big deal on a lot of different fronts because the United States, one of our biggest enemies in the world is the country of Iran as well. And the U.S.'s largest military base in the entire Middle Eastern region is located in Qatar. Uh, this is something that has been impacting us for a few years, too, because the blockade that the other Arab countries put on Qatar made Washington, D.C., the U.S., uh, kind of a, a secondary victim of this because it made it a lot harder for us to carry out some airstrikes against against uh, groups like the Taliban or the Islamic State. And so the United States actually had a vested interest in this as well. Now, uh, Jared Kushner, uh, as I said, he's a senior advisor to the, the White House right now. He actually has developed over the last few years a, a fairly close working relationship with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. He's kind of their de facto ruler right now. He's not the actual uh, king at the moment, but uh, he is kind of the one leading a lot of their re reforms and government right now. And that's Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, they're both about the same age. They're both in their mid to late 30s. And they have developed this kind of closer relationship over the few years. And so Kushner actually visited Riyadh in Saudi Arabia uh, back in November to help you know, broker and negotiate this deal. And so this is a, a huge deal for, for Qatar, obviously. Uh, their isolation is ending. They're allowed to, to do a lot more. They have much more like full diplomatic relations with, with these countries that they used to have and then got cut off from. Uh, they don't have to reroute all of their planes over Iran, which is actually a pretty big boon for Iran as well, because Iran was then essentially renting or leasing their airspace to Qatar. So they were making a lot of money off of the deal. 
Uh, and so now Qatar doesn't have to do that anymore. Uh, we are still waiting to hear some of the specific terms of the agreements. Uh, those have not been made public yet. Uh, but we do know that the, the airspace over Saudi Arabia is reopened. The land border is reopened. And the the other three major blocking or blockading states are also involved in this as well. Uh, so, so this is um, something that will carry a lot of weight going forward because... A, it eases a lot of tension between two powerful countries uh, economically in the region in Saudi Arabia and Qatar. And obviously there's a few others as well that are are involved with that. The UAE is a very wealthy country, so they were involved in this blockade. So it eases a lot of the relationships among countries that the United States has uh, relationships or ties to. Uh, But on top of that, it also serves to further push Iran out of the, the Middle East. And not, not physically, obviously, the country's still there, but it pushes them somewhat further out of the diplomatic relationships that they've had in the Middle East and isolates them politically uh, from other countries in their region. Now, this is uh, a pretty interesting thing because the Trump White House, when this, this was put in office in 2017, or sorry, this was put into place in 2017, shortly after Trump took office, right? So Trump takes office in January of 2017. A few months later, this diplomatic crisis happens. And by all reports, Trump and the Trump White House uh, were actually behind this blockade because Qatar, you know, the relationship Qatar may have had with terrorist organizations, at least these allegations, those are groups that we had been fighting for a long time. And, and so there were some people, especially within the Trump White House, who saw this as kind of a punishment for Qatar for sins that they had committed by supporting groups like the Muslim Brotherhood and potentially groups like ISIS and uh, the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. Now, the blockade didn't work great. Uh, as I said, Qatar is very, very wealthy. Uh, and so they had kind of the resources to overcome a lot of this. And they did end up running to Iran with their air routes and relationships. They improved their relationship with Turkey. And they created a lot of new logistical networks and supply chains uh, to help overcome a lot of it. Uh, but over time, I think Trump and the Trump White House have kind of changed their tune on this. Obviously, because Kushner was, was one of the people negotiating this. But I think the blockade ended up drawing a lot of attention from U.S. diplomats, U.S. military leaders and others to the importance that Qatar has as kind of strategic partner. Uh, As I said, one of our biggest bases, actually, I think our biggest base in the whole region is in Qatar. And so they have a particularly interesting and um, influential location and strategic role to play in a lot of our actions in the Middle East. And so it was not long after the blockade was put into place in June that Trump actually committed the United States to helping resolve this crisis through negotiation. It was only a few months later. And so the last few years have been spent uh, trying to help mediate and fix this relationship. And in fact, U.S. officials publicly supported Kuwait in their attempts to mediate as well. Now, as I said, the exact terms of this are not public yet, but there do appear to be kind of three major legs on which this agreement is based. First is the reopening of the border and the airspace. Uh, I mentioned those already. Uh, Second is that uh, Qatar actually had issued legal, basically lawsuits against the other countries that have been involved in this blockade at the international tribunal level. They had claims that, you know, the WTO, the World Trade Organization, the International Court of Justice, the International Civil Aviation Organization. And so the the agreement here basically committed Qatar to withdrawing those legal claims, those lawsuits. So that improves their relationship on those, those fronts. And then the third 
is essentially more of a media leg. Uh, and this is basically an agreement to tone down some of the negative media, ne negative campaigns that have been taking place uh, in this relationship or in this, um, I should say, strained relationship in the Middle East. Now, some of the social aspects of this and the, the repercussions, the ripples that have come out of the 2017 rift, that's going to be a little harder to fix. Uh, it's just going to take some time. There's a lot of bad memories, a lot of bad uh, blood that has been boiling over the last few years because it, it was not just political leader versus political leader battle it actually directly affected people you know borders were closed so people and communities became separated from one another and the the general public is going to have some some tough things to work through in these countries as they search for kind of genuine reconciliation which may take some time but either way this is a, a really big deal for the region um, not not only just in sense of easing tensions, but with kind of long term impacts and what this may do with Iran and isolating them from the rest of the Middle East, potentially helping turn some of these countries more towards Israel as well. As I mentioned before, uh, as probably a month or two back, Bahrain is one of the countries that uh, signed one of those peace deals to normalize relationships with Israel. And anybody who knows anything about Bahrainian politics knows they would never have signed off on that if Saudi Arabia didn't give them the thumbs up, uh, the OK sign on that. So it's quite likely that other countries may be following suit now that those relationships are, are less and are, are easing. Uh, Bahrain was part of this diplomatic crisis. So pushing Iran further away may actually end up pulling countries back towards Israel, meaning that we are in for a, even a more dramatic shift in the dipl uh, diplomatic politics of the Middle East. And on kind of a U.S. front, too, with an upcoming transition of power, this is kind of, I'll say, half handing a diplomatic victory to Trump in his last days, give him one last thing to kind of hang his hat on, but also preparing for Biden as well. So President-elect Biden has been very critical of Saudi Arabia over a variety of issues, including some human rights things and the bombing of Yemen. And, and so by signing this peace agreement, this is kind of a, a preparation for the incoming president in, of the United States to show him that Saudi Arabia is committed to peace and potentially help normalize the relationships there with, with an incoming new president that Saudi Arabia is going to need to work with uh, going forward. All right, we're going to go ahead and close out the episode. I know that was a little bit shorter today, I think, than normal, but uh, I think it's an interesting topic, one that deserves discussion and one that will keeping a very close eye on. I know I've done actually several podcasts on the Middle East lately over the last, I don't know, probably 10, probably three or four of them have been Middle Eastern related uh, because it's an interesting area of the world and there's a lot that's happening there. There are a lot of very historic and seismic shifts taking place in the Middle East. And I think this is another one that even though it's only a few years old, may have ripples that carry out for years to decades to come. Uh, particularly in that relationship with, with Iran. Uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran have famously not gotten along for a very, very long time. Iran is an enemy of the U.S., it's an enemy of Israel, and a lot of other countries in the Middle East are starting to recognize that as well. So the repercussions of this easing of tensions uh, may carry on for a very, very long time. All right, so if you want to get in touch with me, 
you talk about this or anything else, I'd love to chat with you. You can find me on Twitter at Justin R underscore Kenny. You can also hit me up on Facebook under J Robert Kenny. It's the name I write fiction novels under. I actually have three fiction novels out right now. Uh, one just came out right before Christmas in December. So please go check those out on Amazon. Uh, the most recent one is called Ring of Conspiracy and it's by J Robert Kenny. But you can find me on Facebook and I'd be happy to chat with you about the books, about the podcast, really anything else in between. So uh, hit me up there as well. If, if you're interested in supporting me, supporting the podcast in any way or advertising on the podcast you can always reach out to me or you can find my patreon account online as well uh, but with that i think i am out this is nutshell politics my name is dr justin kinney and we're finished in three two one